And so a prayer, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, written long ago, but speaking into today's world and today's situation, speaking into our hearts and minds, speaking into the life of our church, a word which comes alive each time we read it, for each time we find something new and something fresh. So now through the written and the spoken word, Draw us deeper into him who is the living word, into Jesus himself. And it is to that end that now we pray in his name. Amen. So we continue our series of I Ams, and the message appointed for me to give today is John 15 and verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine. And you'll have heard it, won't you, many times in the last few weeks as we followed this series that when Jesus used the words, I am, he was tying himself to the God of the Old Testament that every Jew would know. For when Moses was going to Egypt to bring the people of Israel out of captivity and he asked God who it would be that they would ask him who it would be, who it was that had sent him, Moses said to God, who are you? And God said, I am who I am. Say to them, I am has sent me to you. And in the Greek, the words used there and the words used in John 15 are emphatic together and echo each other. When I was in college, I preached and I'm the bread of life and my, my principal went to hear me and then had an argument on the Monday morning to tell me that Jesus didn't say any of the words that begins, I am. It was purely what John wanted to write. Well, if you want to believe that, but it seems to me you miss the whole truth of what it's about if we don't actually believe that when Jesus said, I am, he tied up with the God of the Old Testament who had said to every Jew, I am who I am. And so, because you will have heard that from far cleverer thought than me, we go on to our topic for today. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Jesus is working with pictures. Pictures that were part of the religious heritage of the Jewish nation. For many times in the Old Testament, Israel is portrayed as a vine or as the vineyard. God's message to Israel through Jeremiah was, I have planted you a choice vine. Ezekiel likens Israel to a luxuriant vine. And with these and many other references, the vine becomes the symbol of the nation of Israel. It was the emblem on coins minted in Israel during the revolt against Rome in AD 68 to 70. A great golden vine trailed over the temple porch to which the Jewish people would worship. And possibly the most important reference in the Old Testament is Psalm 80 which says, you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nation and planted it. And here the psalmist talks of Israel as a vine coming out of captivity towards the promised land. 
And so you see, when Jesus was saying to the Jews, I am the true vine, he was talking about something that was part of their heritage, part of the very symbol of being Israel. And every Jew would be familiar with it, for it was part of the Jewish national emblem. But Jesus doesn't only say, I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine. And the Greek word for that is true, real, genuine. For you see, wherever the Old Testament symbolized the vine, it talked about it in bad terms. It talked about it as being degenerate. The vineyard had run wild. Isaiah complained that the nation had turned into a degenerate vine because they had not listened to God. They pursued their own way and their sins and their rebellion had turned the vine into something that was no longer desirable. And it's as though Jesus is saying, you think that because you belong to the nation of Israel, then you will belong to the vine of God but sadly your nation has become a degenerate vine because your sins have made it such. In fact, says Jesus, I am the true vine. The fact that you are a Jew will not save you. The only thing that can save you is an intimate relationship with me. I am the vine of God and to be effective, you must be branches that are planted in me not Jewish blood, but faith in Jesus was the way to salvation. No external qualification could set them right with God. No external qualification can set you and me right with God. Only a relationship of intimacy with Jesus can do that. And I pause there for sometimes we think that coming to church is enough. As long as we belong and we look the part, that will be sufficient. I taught, I've just been on holiday to Cornwall for a fortnight. I taught last Sunday to a lady who was there. And she said to me, I go to church because my parents did. And I don't take communion because they didn't feel it was necessary, so I don't. Now, both my parents were Methodist local preachers, as was my granddad. But going to church with my parents, when they preached or otherwise, was not sufficient for me to be a Christian. Going to church is not enough because you go because your parents did. I cannot walk with Jesus on my parents' faith, and neither can you. Each of us has to know Jesus personally and have given our lives to him. And if I think that coming to church is enough and carrying my Bible and looking the part and doing things like that is enough, then I have to rest assured that God can change me, that he'll accept us all. He doesn't consider who we are or where we've been or what we've done. He simply loves us. He opens his arms and he says, come to me. And when we come, we find love and forgiveness and the possibility of a new life with him. 
And when Jesus drew a picture of the vine, he drew a picture that every Jew would be familiar with. The vine was all over Palestine, a plant that needed a great deal of attention if the best fruit was to be found. Grown on terraces, trailed over trellises, but wherever it grew, careful preparation of the soil was necessary. A young vine was not allowed to bear fruit for the first three years, and each year it had to be drastically cut back to develop the plant and encourage growth. When mature, it was pruned in December and January, and it bore fruit eventually, great fruit. There are two kinds of branches, ones that bear fruit and ones that do not. And Jesus said the ones that do not bear fruit have no other purpose but to be cut off and burnt. But the vine cannot produce good fruit without drastic pruning. And Jesus knew that when he used that analogy of our lives in him, it was desired of us as well. You see, the wood itself was no good for any purpose. It was too soft to be used in making furniture or anything else. It simply, when it was dead, had to be cut off and a bonfire started and it was destroyed. Now, Jesus said to every Jew and to you and me, I am the true vine. But then he went on to say, and you are the branches. And then he goes on to say, and the purpose of the branches is to bear fruit. And he looks round and he realises that some branches are fruit bearing and others are not. When he talked of unbearing fruit or fruitless branches, he was thinking first of all of the Jews, for prophet after prophet had told them to come back to God and to turn from their sins and their rebellion. And time and time again, they'd ignored that, that warning. But he was also thinking of Christians, where Christianity is a profession without a practice. Believing without living it out. Words without deeds. Walking the walk without talking the talk or talking the talk without walking the walk. Thinking of Christians who were all leaves but no fruit. Who were part of the Christian way until it became too costly and then they let it go. And there are three ways in which we can be branches that bear no fruit. Firstly, we can refuse to listen to Jesus at all and simply do our own thing because that's what we want to do. Or secondly, we can listen to him and make profession of faith but fail to live it out day by day. So in the world, we become just like everybody else. And thirdly, we can follow Jesus and yield allegiance to him until it becomes costly. And then we give it up and let it go. For really, though we like to be Christians, when shove comes to push and life gets tough, sometimes the reality is far from that. Jesus said, I can't use branches that don't bear fruit. 
So when Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, he told us then two very important secrets of our bearing fruit for Jesus. And the first is this, and I'm quoting from the NIV, not, not the version that Judy read to us. The first is this, remain in me and I will remain in you. See, the branch is no good on its own. It needs to be contacted, it needs to be connected to the vine. Its energy and life-giving sap comes from the vine. The very life of the branch is dependent on being joined to the vine. Sometimes you can walk through Skipton Woods and see a branch which has been cut off from the tree without any life at all. It quickly withers and dies and it's fit only to be burnt. No one can explain the mystery of the sap which rises in the stem and flows around the branches until it reaches the farthest twig. No one can order it or control it. It happens naturally. But the proof of his presence is seen in every unfolding leaf and every bursting bud. Cut a circle in the bark and interrupt the flow of the sap and the branch will die just as if it has been cut off. So it is with our relationship with Jesus Christ. For he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, I can do nothing. Apart from him, I can do nothing. And so we have to remain in him and let him remain in us. The story is told of King George V, how he once went to a Scottish port to name a new vessel. And after the ceremony was over, he expressed a desire to go unattended to visit some of the poorer subjects of that land. And so he went off on his own and he knocked on one cottage door and the fast old lady called out, who's there? And the reply came back, I am your king. Can I come in? The wonderful thing about our faith is that the one who is the king of kings knocks on our heart's door and says to us, I am your king. Can I come in? And as he comes to live within us, so joined to him, he enables us to be fruit-bearing branches. Yet there are secrets of remaining in him Perhaps I have to reorder my life to make time for prayer or to make time for studying his word or being quiet in the presence of God and allowing his spirit to speak to me and do things in my life that are necessary for growth. See, the natural way to be close to a friend is to spend time with him or her, getting to know each other, sharing intimate things, Having fellowship together, I value the time I depend with, I spend with friends. But even more so, I value the time that I spend with Jesus. But I know that in my life, pruning has to take place. There have to be certain imperfections taken out of my life. Films I watch, magazines I read, and in gossip Dirty stories, whatever you want to call it. There are things, aren't there, that we are tainted with, we are tempted with. And sometimes words I say or actions I do of which I am ashamed 
have to be cut out by God. I can only be what God wants me to be if I allow him to daily cleanse my heart and mind and make me more like him day by day. But secondly, the purpose of bearing fruit branches is that you and I live it out. If you and I live it out, then others may have a chance of believing. And the mission of the church is seen in the way we serve the community and love other people and let people see Jesus in us. Now, in this particular passage, fruit bearing is talking about winning souls, and that is true for us in much of our work. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's also about caring for people. It's serving people. It's loving people. It's going to the unlovely and the unloved. It's going to those who need us. And there are many people in Skipton who have yet to know Jesus. Many people who are missing out on, on what we celebrated in our first hymn. Missing out on those things that set our lives apart, not because we're anything or I'm anything, but because God is working his purposes out. And if my life is exciting, then I want others to share that excitement not, it's not exciting because of who I am or what I do, but because of what God is doing in my life. And I submit myself to him in order that I might live it out day by day, in words, in actions, in care, in love, in speaking, in sharing a word for Jesus, in telling people about my love, in allowing the joy of the Lord to dwell in my heart and pour out in my life. For the joy of his people is very attractive to a non-Christian world. There are two attributes of being a good disciple. The first is it enriches our lives. I couldn't imagine life without faith. I couldn't imagine life without Jesus Christ. I couldn't imagine that sometimes in the changing circumstances of life, if I had to do it on my own, I would go under. But I don't because there is a God who has said, I will supply all your needs. There is a God who, will, who has said, my grace is sufficient. There is a God who has said, in all things, you can be content. But secondly... The attribute of being a good disciple is that we bring glory to God. And the greatest things I can hope for and you can hope for in our Christian lives is that our words and our actions point people to Jesus and bring glory to God. He was a typical teenager, leaving school at 16. Determined to move on from childhood to adulthood, he said to his parents, I'm not going to church with you anymore. He went to work in a factory and became one of the lads. But there in the factory he was helped by an older man called Tom. Who, Tom who gave a simple, caring Christian witness. Tom told him about finding meaning for life and so he went to church with Tom. The youngster eventually became a Christian and said that in no small way that hap had happened because of Tom's influence. 
And reflecting on his journey into faith, the young man said these words. That man in the factory was Jesus to me. If you talked to Tom, Tom wouldn't have realised what he was doing. He was simply living out his Christian life. He wouldn't have said he was a hero. He wouldn't have said that young man came to Christ because of me. But the young man looked at his life and saw Jesus and it had a tremendous influence upon him. And Tom's life bore fruit both by his Christ-like care and by the impact of his witness upon that young lad. Jesus reminds us that the whole point of being Christians is that we should bear fruit. But he also reminds us that apart from him, we are nothing and can do nothing. And sometimes our church life is fruitless because we rely on all our systems and all our methods and all our plans and all the ways we can do things and using all our talents. I remember the fishermen going out at night, the correct time to fish and coming back with empty nets and going out on the instruction of Jesus at the wrong time of the day to the wrong part of the ocean and putting the net over the wrong side of the boat and catching so many fish that they couldn't bring it to land. Their craft, their skill, their ability had caught nothing that night, but the word of Jesus made all the difference. He gives us skills. We use our skills in our work for him. But I know that if I'm to be effective as a preacher, as a Christian, then it's not about me. It's about developing an intimate relationship with him so that I can then bear him in my life as I live it day by day. I love this chapter. I love John 15. I love it because it brings me back time and time again simply to Jesus. Because it reminds me that if I want to be an effective Christian, an effective witness, an effective preacher, I cannot be unless I'm tied into the vine, unless I'm spending daily relationship, intimate things with him, unless I'm allowing him to prune and do things in my life, unless I am looking to him, who is my saviour and my Lord. And as I give more of myself to him, then I know that my life will be more of a blessing to others. And my prayer is for each one of us as we step out into the future, we're going to have new ministers, we don't know what that means, we're going to lose dear friends, but we're going to welcome new ones. That's the intimacy of the itinerant ministry. But as we step out with Andrew here, we step out knowing that we step out also with God. And I pray that each one of us may know that intimate relationship with him not with Andrew yes of course but more than that with God who says apart from me you can do nothing take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee take myself and I will be ever only all for thee